I want to encourage you to open up 1 Peter 1 with us. We're still in 1 Peter 1. We've been moving through it. This is our last week in the first chapter. It won't take us as long to get through 1 Peter as it did through Acts because Acts has, you know, way more chapters than Peter. But uh, it's going to be just as rich. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to reread something we read a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to look at some elements of it that we didn't look at before um, because that's important. Uh, there are some different themes going on here, but they're all connected. They're all important. And I believe that they're going to be life to us if we'll receive them. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 22. Just to update you on where we were, uh, we got to see in the, a couple of weeks ago when we were last looking at 1 Peter, we got to see how great God's love was towards us, how he redeemed us not with uh, perishable things like gold or silver or even blood uh, from an animal, but he redeemed us with his own blood, which was precious. And he talks about the fact that we have been redeemed with something not temporary, but eternal. Something that will last, something that will keep, something that won't fade away. He's going to continue on that thought. And in, in, in 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 2, there's a bit of a sandwich taking place. And, and on the top of the sandwich is talking about what God has done through Jesus Christ. On the bottom of the sandwich is what God has done through Jesus Christ. And in the middle is some instruction for you. And that's important, and that's kind of the way it works in the Bible. If you've been studying the New Testament for any period of time, you'll notice that God first tells you, he first emphasizes what he's done and who you are in him, and then he gives you something to do with that. If we, if we make it backwards, if we try to start with ourselves, we'll always fail. If we try to make it happen on our own, we will fail. But if we look to him and what he's done and what he's accomplished and what he's created you to be in him, all things are truly possible. So in 1 Peter 1, verse 22, let's start reading together. He says this, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, Fervent, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So there's something that he's hammering in and it's really important here, which is the word is eternal. When everything else fades, the word of God remains. When everything else collapses, the word of God remains. In our view of what matters in life, in our view of what really is scary or exciting to us, often the things that are loud and in our face seem to be the biggest things. But the scripture tells us over and over again that the things that are most important, the things that are most valuable, in fact, the things that are most real are the things that are eternal. You remember when Paul was going through all that junk and he's writing to the Corinthians about all he had to go through to preach the gospel. I mean, he had to go through so much to get the gospel to them. He had to, I mean, he went through beatings and imprisonments and all these things. But then he says, this light momentary affliction. Now, no, none of us here would instinctively call what he went through light and momentary. Beatings, imprisonments. A couple times when he was pretty much dead, none of us would say, nah, no big deal. You know, we all go through that every now and then. I mean, I almost, I was stoned to death last week. I mean, who hasn't had that happen to them? That's not our reality. So who would look at Paul, and you'd think you're being offensive if you looked him in the eye and go, you know, Paul, that's all kind of light and temporary stuff. 
That's a good way to get yourself, you know, smacked in the face if you start talking to somebody like that. In fact, we don't like when people minimize what we're going through, do we? We like to maximize what we're going through because when we maximize what we're going through, it somehow makes us bigger. It somehow gets us a little compassion from people. So we maximize these things. And I, and I, I truly want you to know what you're going through is not insignificant. And it matters to me and it matters to Jesus. But there's something bigger than all of that too. Paul says this light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. When he says beyond comparison, he's saying what's, what's ahead of us is not worthy of being compared with what we're dealing with right now. This is light and temporary when I think about what's heavy and eternal. So we got to remember that the eternal stuff is heavy. The temporary stuff is light. Remember that Peter is writing to people that are going through some tough stuff. And as he's writing to them, not only are they going through some tough stuff externally, I mean, there's persecution happening. We don't know whether this took place in the midst of Nero's persecution or right before it. But either way, there's already persecution at the fringes of the empire. Peter didn't write this to, even though he's in Rome. He's not writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to those in Asia Minor. And he names them by name. And he talks about the stuff they're going through already. And then he tells them, don't worry. Your faith is stronger than all this. Your God is bigger than all this. And the word of God that saved you isn't corruptible. This is not going to destroy what really matters. He goes on, he says, the word of the Lord endures forever. But before that, and I know that sometimes when we read this, we separate this. We think, well, he's talking about the word of God. And then he's talking about our love for one another. And he's talking about the word of God again. But you notice that these aren't separate thoughts. They're tied together. Look at when he says this. Back in, in verse um, 23. Sorry, verse 22. It says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. So in other words, if, I, if I'm really going to take this seriously and love you guys, and you're going to love me back... It's directly tied to the fact that we've been born again of something that's not going to fade. See, we separate those things, but they can't be separated. The love that he's talking about here is not a man-made love. It's not a conjured up love. It's not something you can work up. It's something that it comes from God himself. In fact, comes from that salvation within you. And so he's talking about an imperishable seed. I mean, so many times when we say we got to love each other, we just kind of will ourselves into it. We just say, I'll try a little bit harder. I'll try to think about nice things about them. But he says, here's what you think about. Love one another, fervently love one another from the heart, for you've been born again. It's important to remember we're not who we were. The love we have is not the love we used to have. Our ability is not what it used to be. And now it all goes back to the fact that we were born again of an imperishable seed, which is the word of God. Think about this for a minute. Let's just analyze some of the words that he uses. He, he uses a word right here, sincerely. If you were to dig into the Greek, it literally means not hypocritical. And I know when you talk to somebody who's trying to get out of coming to church, hypocritical is the first word that comes to their mind. Of course, I've told you this before, but my answer is always the same. Yeah, there's probably hypocrites. There's hypocrites all over the world. The whole world is full of hypocrites. The only guy who was not a hypocrite was Jesus Christ. That's why he's the one we're singing about and not, you know, Don or Levi or let's name a woman, Denny. 
Right, Denny, you're okay with that. The reason we're not singing songs to them is because they're, the, they're the humans here. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So he's the only one that's worthy of that. So when someone says, I don't want to go to church because there's, you know, there's too many hypocrites there. Well, why are you going to the grocery store? Why are you going to the gas station? Why do you go to work? The world is full of hypocrites. Let's just face that. But the only way to get past that hypocrisy is to truly let God work in you so that what you're putting out is not fake, it's real. You know, a lot of people will say this, I'm just tired of being a hypocrite. I just want to be real with people. I'm tired of the plastic smiles, man. I'm tired of the, the fake hugs. I just want to be real. And I agree with you, be real. But their answer is, I want to stop being fake to you and I don't like you. So I'm going to stop being fake and I'm not going to pretend to like you. That's their answer. Well, that might not be hypocritical, but it's certainly not Christ-like. What have you accomplished? Here's your answer. Instead of being fake, trust this. God has put something in you that you don't have to love them with a fake love. There can be a real love. It says love each other, this sincere love. What does he say you got to do? You got to purify your soul for a sincere love of the brethren. Now, that purification, yes, it took place when you were born again. Yes, he saved you. He cleaned you up. But it's also this renewing of the mind by the washing of the water of the word. You letting God's word seep into you so that what you're hearing and what you're reading is growing on the inside of you. Because remember, love is not just a command. It's a fruit of the spirit. What else is a fruit of the spirit? Joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all things that you don't work up. They come from the spirit inside of you. You choose to walk in them. You choose, if you notice there's a lack, you say, God, I don't want to lack in this area, and I know your spirit has been poured out to me without measure, and so I'm going to just trust you that as I walk in your word and I walk by your spirit, I'm naturally going to have some of this stuff coming out of me. In fact, all of it. Do you notice that in Galatians, when it talks about the fruit of the spirit, it doesn't say the fruits of the spirit, it's the fruit of the spirit. Because all of those things come. All of them are, are a package deal that come with you being regenerated by the Spirit of God. Now, here's what he says. You've been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. Somehow that's connected to me loving you. Somehow that's connected to us loving one another. There's a word in, in the Greek that talks about hypocrisy that, that actually comes from the word for wax, and when we're saying not hip, hip, hypocritical, we're actually saying not waxy. And that comes from back in the day when they would, at least this is what some, a lot of scholars believe, that it comes from a day where they would have these, this pottery that, that you know, if you, if you didn't take care of it just right or if you made a mistake while you were making it, there might be some cracks, but you didn't want to throw away that pottery. You, you still wanted to sell it. So you'd seal it up with some wax and you'd, uh, you'd cover over it, you'd paint over it or whatever, and then you'd try to sell it. And so often when people would come to the market, they'd hold up this pottery to the sunlight, and you could see if the sunlight is kind of peeping through the cracks. They could see the wax in that. And it, obviously, if you have a piece of pottery that's been sealed with wax, it's not as good as something that's just pure all the way through. And so when we're talking about a sincere love of the brethren, we're talking about one that's without hypocrisy, that's without fake, that's without plastic, without wax, somehow is real. That's your answer. You don't have to just stop being nice to people because you don't want to be nice. You trust that the love of God is big enough. Remember when I was a kid, 
in, down in children's ministry, they, they made us memorize 1 Corinthians 13 and all the things that love was and all the things that love wasn't. But it started out not with 1 Corinthians 13, but they put another scripture in there which said, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. So when we would make that little confession of faith, we would read it, we'd memorize it, and it really stuck with me all, all, all the years of my life. But it would say, the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I am this and I am not this. You see the connection there? Even as kids, we were learning the reason I'm patient, the reason I can be kind, the reason I'm not jealous, the reason I don't rejoice in unrighteousness is because he poured his love out in me by the Holy Spirit. I can be his, his version of me. I can be what he is through me. That changes everything. And the church is so full of us struggling sometimes how we act to one another and how we feel and how sometimes we feel like we're pretending and sometimes we feel like this isn't real and it tortures us. But your answer isn't just to stop loving on people. Your answer is not just to stop going up to people. Your answer is to say, Lord, I trust that I'm born again. Because right now what's creeping up is not born again stuff. Right now what's creeping up is the old stuff. But I've been born again of a seed that doesn't fade. You know, how many of you have thought, don't, you don't have to raise your hand for this. You don't have to say anything out loud, but just think about it. How many of you have thought of that moment, that week when you first got born again, and you just felt such a love for everybody? You know, you're just so full of that love. And I've heard people say, well, that, that, all that, those warm, fuzzy feelings, they fade. But here he's saying, that seed that got you born again, that seed that was planted in you when you were first saved, it's imperishable, it's incorruptible. It's not supposed to fade. See, we've got to trust God here. The problem is when we first get saved, we just are, we have no choice but to lean on Jesus because we don't know what in the world's going on. I mean, you're just looking around going, I don't know anything about this. I'm just, you know, and you're, you're surrounded by a new family. You're surrounded by this love of the Father and, and, and you're trying to figure it out. Well, we start to figure out how to act like Christians. And acting like a Christian while it may have its pros, is, is, is a dangerous thing. God didn't call you to act like a Christian. He called you to be like him. He didn't say we should act like the church. He said we should be the church. And so here's the deal. We can learn how to act like a certain way and mimic what we had when we started, but that's never going to last, and it's going to come across as fake too. You know, I've been in meetings uh, where in churches where there was great moves of God. I mean, amazing things happening. And it, they kind of had some things go on where, where it, it, the fire didn't keep burning at the same rate. So you had some people that would still go through the same motions. You know, this is what we did. This is what it looked like. You know, I mean, somebody was hooping and hollering over here. Somebody was running in circles over here. Uh, let's just do that again. And, and somehow when you're just putting it on yourself, it comes across as very weird and very fake. I think the same thing goes for all the fruit of the Spirit. My mom has some apples on her table that I'm always tempted to bite into. And I, I sometimes forget they're fake, and then I tap on them, and oh, they're fake again. And I, my heart just drops within me because they look so good. But that's really the, the truth of it. And we've talked about this before, how so many of us have looked around and said, what, what does the fruit of the Spirit look like? Well, we get... Love looks like that. Joy looks like that. Peace and patience. 
and we get some wax fruit of the Spirit, and we tape it to a tree, the tree of our heart, the tree of our life, and we tape it up there and say, I hope nobody notices. But people will notice, and you will starve, won't you? Wax fruit looks good for a bit, but you, it, you can't live on it. I guess you could live for a bit on it, right? I mean, it's, it's wax. But it's not going to be satisfying. It's going to come across as fake. My grandma had wax fruit for years, and boy, that stuff did not ta- stand the test of time. It, it was on her table a lot longer than it should have been. Should have been retired a long time ago. That's just the truth of the matter, and that's the way it goes for us. And he says, because you've purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, and we'll talk about that purity in a minute, because he brings that up again in chapter 2. But he says, since you've purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Another translation says, deeply love one another from the heart. The word that we translate fervently here actually comes from an athletic term in ancient Greece, which meant with everything you've got. So if you were running a race, they'd use that word. You've, that's an adverb that they'd use. He fervently ran. He, he ran with everything he had. You didn't leave anything on the, on the field. You, you, you poured it all out. I should say you left everything on the field. I think that's how it works. He's saying the same thing here. Fervently, with everything you've got, love one another from the heart. It's interesting that he's just finished talking about all the stuff that they're going through, all the persecution that's hitting them, and then he turns it inward and says, now here's how you treat one another. As the more and more the world turns against the church, the more and more the world pushes against the fabric of the kingdom of God, the more and more there needs to be a strength on the inner core, first and foremost, connected to Jesus, connected to the head, connected to Christ. And then also connected to one another. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We don't think about the word destroy, but in, the, in, in Greek and in English, destroy means to tear down or disassemble something that's been built. What does God come to do? To build. How many times in the New Testament it says edify one another? What does edify mean? Edify means to build. Build, build, build. God is building things. What does Satan want to do? Unbuild, destroy, destruct. God is constructing. The devil is trying to destruct things. What is, what is destroy things? And what, is, what does the scripture say? What does Jesus say? That's, that's the Satan's mission. That's the thief's mission. But I've come that you may have life. Do you realize that the life that Jesus offers us is way more effective, way more powerful, way resistant to anything the enemy is trying to do. He might come to do these things, but it doesn't mean he has to succeed. But it is his mission. It's been his mission throughout history to divide the people of God, to divide the body of Christ. Because if he can divide us, then that, that precious joints and ligaments that, that God has called us to be, that, the joining of the parts that work together that are connected to the head, if he divides us, We are not only isolated from one another, but in a way we become isolated with Christ himself. It's just a reality, and I know it's a hard reality, but you can't be a Christian and separate yourself from the body of Christ without it really affecting your relationship with Jesus. I know that you can get all the best books in the world, your best CDs, you can get your Christian TV on, but if you don't have any connections to the body of Christ, 
this relationship's not going to be right because that's the way we were designed. Here's our answer. Lord, I want a sincere love for my brethren. And then, what does he say? Deeply, fervently, with everything you've got, love one another from the heart. That love we know comes from God, doesn't it? So you can't conjure it up. It comes from him. But then look at this. His part is to pour it out in us. His part is to give us this love. What's our part? Our part is to fervently, with everything we've got, live it out. This is with everything that God does. I mean, God will give you, his grace is sufficient. He'll give you whatever you need to live the life he's called you to live. The Bible says we've been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. But as he goes on, he says, you've been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness, so start doing these things. In Hebrews 11, it says, by faith. And it begins to talk about all these great things these men and women of God did by faith. By faith means they didn't do it on their own. They did it by trusting God, and yet they had to do something. By faith, Noah built the ark, right? How did he know to build an ark? God told him. How did he have provision to build an ark? God did it. How did he get the animals in the ark? God did it. And yet he had to start picking up a hammer, picking up some nails, picking up some boards, and doing something. We have to choose to let this gracious gift that God's given us work in our lives. We have to choose. It's God that's at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, but we have to work it out. We have to choose to put this in action. Some of us are just waiting for this love bomb to hit us. And we, we, all of a sudden, there's a song that, that somehow the worship team plays a song and all of a sudden it hits us for the first time, I love everybody now. And then we just walk around in a daze hugging people. But that's not the way it works. What God is supplying to you, you'll, you'll see it in your life when you begin to walk in it. When you say, okay, I, I believe this is where faith comes in, right? What God gives us through Jesus, that's grace. But how do you receive grace? By faith right? How'd you get saved? The grace of God was supplied to you, right? The grace of God got you born again, but it was by faith that we received. When that woman with the issue of blood was touched Jesus, said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. The disciples said, there's tons of people touching you. And if, if Jesus said, I had this power, I felt power go out through me. If he had all this power and all somebody had to do was touch him and everybody's touching him, why didn't everybody get healed? Because one lady had the faith to receive what God was freely giving. So God is freely giving his love to us. But how do we act on it? How do we walk in faith? It's believing, yes, but then it's walking it out because faith without works is dead. So there's going to be this awkward moment, guys. Trust me, because I've lived it. And I know you probably have too. There's going to be this awkward moment when you choose to love the people you don't want to love, where you don't feel the warm fuzzies for them. And you don't feel an overwhelming sense of, I want to I just give them a million dollars. You don't feel that right away. But we walk by faith, not by feelings, not by sight. Your faith is in Jesus. So you say, I have faith that I'm born again. And the fact that I'm born again, I'm born again by the word that's imperishable. And that word put something in me that I didn't have before. And when he said, love your enemies, every time God says something, every time Jesus says something, when he said, let there be light, that wasn't an instructional sermon. That wasn't, that wasn't you know, a, just a, here, let me give you some advice, light. 
be light, you know? Somehow you need to come out of nothing and become something. When he said, let there be light, his word carried the power to make it happen. So when Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you, that was not just a command. It was an empowerment. The moment he said, love your enemies, and you received it and said, yes, I will, that love for your enemies was given to you. That moment that God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. The moment Joshua says, okay, strength and courage comes to Joshua. You just got to trust that. So what do I do? I, I fervently love. I sincerely love. I love with all I've got and trust that God's going to supply what I need. Now, here's what it says in chapter 2. It's connected because it starts with, therefore, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by, by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Just quick show of hands, who here tonight has tasted the kindness of the Lord? You've tasted the kindness of the Lord, you know that. So here's, here's his instruction to you. He's told you what to do. He said, love sincerely, love fervently. Now he's telling you some things to put aside. Put aside malice, put aside deceit, put aside hypocrisy. Put aside envy and put aside slander. Why is he telling you to put all these things aside? Because these are the things that poison the well. Remember what he said at the beginning. You've purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. That purification, the power to clean you up came from the blood of Jesus. But you got to agree with that and you got to say, I'm not going to let that stuff back in me. I'm not going to let deceit back in. I'm not going to let hypocrisy back in. Because if you entertain those things, if you say they're okay, then what's going to happen? It's going to prevent you from having a sincere love for people. These are the things that stop the love of God from flowing in your life. And you need to recognize them early and nip them in the bud. What in the world is malice? <laughs> New American Standard, why do you give us a word we don't use anymore? We use it like maliciously. But malice is, is bad intent, it's, it's hatred, it's, it's, it's those feelings against somebody. Do you, you ever have those people that if you see them in the grocery store, you purposely walk the other way? There's two groups of people like that. There's some, I got to be honest with you, there's some that I love to the bottom of my heart, but I got five minutes to buy diapers. If I run into that person, we're going to be here for half an hour. And I, forgive me Jesus, I've walked the other way because I did not have half an hour. But there's other people, you cringe when you see them. They've, maybe they've hurt you. Maybe they've said something that rubbed you the wrong way, and you just don't like them. I understand that. But if you, if you start giving yourself permission to feel that way, you've received that into your heart. You've received malice, and you've said, we're buddies now. You, you can, you've given an, a hall pass to malice. You could stay. You could stay for that person. Nobody else, but that person's earned it. Well, what happens? That begins to, to, to pollute the love of God in you. Suddenly, your love's not so sincere anymore. What's the next thing he says? Put aside malice. Put aside deceit. Deceit's a tough one because sometimes we deceive people because we think we're doing it in love. 
But he says, don't, just put it aside. Don't let it be part of your heart. Don't let it be part of your, your life. Guys, if you can't say something good, if you can't say the right thing, just learn how to keep your mouth shut for a bit. Or speak in faith, but don't speak fake. He says, put aside deceit. Put aside hypocrisy. I think we all have a good idea of what that is. Let me dispel a myth, though. Hypocrisy, a hypocrite is not somebody who believes the Bible and then does something contrary to the Bible. A hypocrite believes, might say they believe the Bible, does something contrary, and then either hides it or justifies it. See, we've all gone against what we believe, haven't we? We've all failed. We've all stumbled. I don't think that makes us all hypocrites. If a doctor gets sick, is he a hypocrite? No. What about a safety instructor? You ever see a ski or a snowboard instructor fall down? I have. It's funny. But it doesn't make them a hypocrite. It means they fell down. But if you're telling people what to do and at the same time you're, you're letting this go on in your own life and you've got, you, there's no repentance, there's no attempt to change it, it's okay if you do it but not if they do it or you hide what you're doing, that's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy to put on the face every Sunday and say, I, I want to look like I love you, but I don't want to feel like I love you. I want, I want to act like I love you, but when you're gone, I'm going to talk about you. That's hypocrisy. He says, put it aside. Why? All of these things poison the well. All of these things pollute. And he's saying, purify your soul. Your soul is not your spirit, right? Your spirit, you are a spirit. That's the thing that got born again. What's your soul? It's your mind, your will, your emotions. That soul is, is, is really the things you're thinking, the things you're feeling. How do I purify my soul? By the word of God and by refusing to allow things that go contrary to the word of God. It's not a sin to have a thought that goes contrary to the word of God. It's sinful to entertain that thought and give that thought a nice futon in your mind to have a nap on or a justification for existing. And guys, I'm sure you got lots of justifications. I'm sure people have given you plenty of justification to feel all these things towards them. But when we got saved, we gave up our rights. We gave up our right to hate. We gave up our right to be bitter. We gave up our right to revenge. Why? Because God had all those rights towards us. And he traded them. He said, I'm not going to hold these things against you. So I'm taking your accounts payable and I'm taking your accounts receivable. And I'm going to deal with them both. And here, put aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Oh my goodness, if we could get rid of envy, we would have a way more harmonious body of Christ in Lloydminster and in every city. Envy, envy is at the root of a ton of stuff in Christianity. And we dress it up. We make it sound good. You know, there's so much envy in churches. Leaders feel envious. They see somebody else doing good, and there's that little part in you that says, oh, I wish they weren't doing so good. Put that down as soon as you feel it. Hit it with the Word of God. Better than just, you know, I've, I learned way too late in life, but I learned you don't fight thoughts with thoughts. Jesus didn't. When Jesus was tempted, how did he fight it? With the Word of God. He said something. Do you know the devil can't read your mind? So you're silently rebuking them with your brain. It's not working. I'm not a mind reader. Open your mouth. Use the word of God. You look crazy. I know. 
You look crazy in the grocery store talking to yourself. <laughs> it's all right. Speak the word of God. Jesus was alone in the wilderness talking to himself. I mean, yeah, he's talking to the devil. Do you think anybody else could see it? If somebody had stumbled upon that scene, what would they see? Jesus pointing in the thin air saying stuff. Right? How silly would that guy look? And yet, that's what we need to do. Don't let it stay in your mind. Don't let slander. Don't let slander in. Slander is when you're speaking ill about other people. Don't let, that, don't let that be something we do. And I know sometimes we dress it up like, I'm just telling you so you can pray. Right, right, I get that. <laughs> Your eyes lit up as you were telling, right? Oh, I'm just telling you so you can pray. Me? Really? That's, that's, I know, it's, sometimes it's important that we, it's often important that we pray for one another and pray together, but you don't have to spill every detail. And sometimes we need to make sure we got our facts straight. Sometimes, all the time. And so here he says, put the slander away. Don't, don't, don't let that into your, your mouth. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. And what's interesting is we know the scripture talks about milk and talks about meat, right? It says the meat is for mature believers. There are things that, that are for mature, but the word of God, here he's not making a distinction between mature and immature. He's saying the word of God, I want you to long for this like little babies long for milk. There's that, that, that idea and there's the, the reality for a baby that everything they need, everything to really help them to grow, to live, to be satisfied is in that feeding, is in that daily feeding. Now, they need other things, of course, but there's so much contained in that, in that milk that they receive and they want it, they desire it. And you can't just tell a newborn baby, times are tough, let's skip a day. Why don't we all fast? I mean, I know they did that back in the Old Testament a couple of times, but you know, most of the time, you can't just tell your baby, you know what, we're going to skip a meal. You're looking chubby. Let's just skip a couple meals. Mommy's tired. Mommy's busy. That you think your baby's going to let you do that? Stop crying and saying, okay, well, all right, well, I can wait till tomorrow, I guess, but double feeding then, No. But as we get busy with other things and, and other things we, we find to satisfy us, isn't it funny how we can do without this for a long period of time? How we can fill those needs with other things. Now, they won't satisfy you. They won't help you. They won't give you life. But, but you can occupy yourself so much that you forget how much you need this. I think we all go through stages in our life where we realize how much we need this. When I first got turned on to Jesus as a teenager, and I mean, I, I loved the Lord, but when I really got on fire for Jesus, me and my buddies, we, were, we would talk about how it was a crummy day if we didn't wake up in time to start the day with the Word of God. And it wasn't crummy because, you know, we just willed it to be crummy. It was just in comparison to those days where we started out with the Word of God. It fed us. And you might think, well, I know so much. I mean, uh, you know what? God can speak to you fresh through the same verse you've been reading for 20 years and, and bring life to you. It's the living word of God. It's what he's speaking right now. It's not just what he said 2,000 years ago. It's, he's saying it right now to us. And that living word of God has meaning that changes, that, that grows, that, that grows richer and deeper every time you let it in. And what is that word? What did Jesus call the word? He called it a seed. Seeds grow. Seeds grow Seeds take up more space as they grow. They, they, 
They bring more things as they grow, and they actually cause not only fruit, but more, more seeds to be planted. And the Word of God's like that in us. And he says, long for the pure milk of the Word. Not like a toddler, not like a senior citizen. Long for milk like that newborn baby longs for milk. And like I said, just try to tell the newborn baby to skip a meal. It's not going to go over well. In the same way, I want you to have that longing, that hunger for it. Why? Because by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. You've been saved, praise God. But salvation is not just a tick into heaven. Salvation is a life. Salvation is what God has not only brought you out of, but what he's brought you into. And you've been made not to just be born again, but to grow. And he says this, all of these things, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's where it begins and that's where it ends, with the kindness of the Lord. We learn how to love by watching him, by knowing him. We love because he first loved us. And there's something in this word that's able to put things in us that didn't exist before. If you're noticing a lack of anything, it's by the spirit and by the word that you'll get it back. If you are noticing a lack of love in your life, and I'm not talking about a lack of relationship. I'm talking about you don't feel that love for people. You don't, you just, you don't see it. It's hard to do. Sometimes it is hard, but if you'll trust the Word of God, and you know those days where you're not, it's not coming freely, it's, 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 it's a battle, it's a, it's a chore, it's a fight, get your Bible out. Begin to read about the love of God. And you might think, well, I don't need to learn about it. I already know that stuff. Get it out of your mind that you're reading the Bible to learn something. You will learn something. But the Word of God doesn't just teach you. It does teach you, but not just teach you. It fills you with stuff. It puts life in you. It plants seeds in you. There are things that grow that weren't there before. There are things that come alive with the Word of God. It's not just a, a textbook. It's life. Just like when Jesus would tell somebody, get up, make up your bed and walk. That wasn't an instructional message on, on how, to, how to get better from, from lifetime paralysis. When he said, get up, and the man decided to get up, God provided the strength to get up. And when the word of God says something to you and you say, yes, I'm going to do that, the strength to do it, the power to do it is right there. It's time we lay aside our hypocrisy. It's time we lay aside our fakeness. It's time we lay aside our deceit and our envy and our slander and all of these things and remember what we were created for. Remember this, the word of God in you is incorruptible. Can't be undone, can't be, can't be, can't fade, can't be corrupted, can't be destroyed. It's in you. And if you'll rely on that, if every time you start feeling like I'm, I'm just doing a terrible job at loving people, I'm doing a terrible job of being a follower of Christ, get off your self-pity wagon, stop moaning and complaining about it and begin to say this, I've been born again. I'm not an unbeliever. I've been born again. I have every right to have the love of God poured out in me. I have every promise to have the love of God poured out in me. Wait a second. I'm thinking as if I was just, you know, some Joe Blow, some guy who didn't know any better. But I've been born again. There's something in me that's able to create in me what I need. 
There's something in me that's able to grow. There's something in me that's going to help me to love that person. There's something in me that's going to help me not be a hypocrite. It's the Word of God. Long for it. Let it purify your mind. He puts this in the brackets. Like I said, it's like a sandwich. And it begins with what Jesus did for us, and it ends with what Jesus did for us. And that's the Christian life. Begins and ends with Him. But if you'll be faithful to say, I want that, and I'm going to walk it out, the grace of God is there to get it done. Somebody once said to me, with the voice of God, always comes the grace of God to get it done. And I'm telling you today that we can be living examples of the power of the love of Jesus. This isn't given as a good advice. It's not given as a nice thought that Pete had some, one day relaxing on the seven hills of Rome. This is a command from God. If you really look into the Word, you look into Jesus' teachings, nothing else works without the love of God. Nothing else works. Jesus said, you guys know the commandments well, but you've got to know every law and every commandment and every prophecy hangs on these two commandments, love God and love one another. If you get those, everything else is going to work. If you miss those, everything's going to fail. This is why it's so important. Let's choose it today, amen? Let's choose it. Let's stand up together.